sermon today was not what I was going to preach as late as Thursday morning. I actually just about had another one completely finished when the Lord said, You know, you're doing a series on uh, people who met Jesus, and one of the ones that was the most impactful to you, you're not even doing. Uh, I want you to do it this week. You can put the tax collector guy off until closer to tax time. (laughs) And uh, so I really think that, that... this sermon is going to change some people's lives today. I think it's supposed to change some people's lives. Now, of course, I, I feel that way in a general sense every time I get up to preach. But I especially feel that way today. And let me, let me just say this. That doesn't mean this is going to be a great sermon. Because that really has very little to do with your life getting changed. You can hear a great sermon and you can remember it. And you can go, wow, that was a great sermon, and nothing changed inside of you. But sometimes you go, and the sermon was really kind of eh, but, meh, but you're changed forever. I remember, well, actually, I don't remember. I I, I was going to say I remember the sermon on the time when when my life took a turn in my mid-20s. And I know there was a sermon, but I have no idea what the sermon was. I don't even know who preached, to be honest with you, was the altar call. And it wasn't that it was all that great an altar call, because quite frankly, it was an altar call that I had heard at least a thousand times. And I told the early service of the thousand times I had heard it, at least 990 times it had been given better than it was this time. In fact, it was lame. It was so lame that inside of myself, I just kind of went, is that the best you got? Just being honest. You know, is that the best you got? You know, if you, if you, if you real, if you really want me, then blah, 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 fill in the blank. And I've, I've told this story a few times. I don't have time to go there this morning. And as soon as I, you, the only reason that I said that was because the altar call was so lame. And as soon as I got it out, you know, it was just kind of, you tricked me. I just prayed. <laughs> that was a prayer. Ah. Well, I don't have to worry about it. Within 30 minutes, he had filled in the blank. And while I didn't give my life to the Lord that day, my life turned. And, and it was inevitable. About two weeks later is when I surrendered. I, at the time, I kind of referred to it as crashing and burning, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, now I understand that what I did was surrender. And so I think that what, uh, that what the Lord has for somebody today is a turning place in their life. Turning point. Would you stand with me? We're going to read a brief passage from Matthew chapter 15. <coughs> Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, 
for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that I know is here, has already manifested in my heart today and in the hearts of many. I pray, Lord, now that he would manifest in the hearts of all. And Lord, regardless of what I say, you take, take the good things and take the weak things, but Lord, use them to change someone. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> there are a few things more touching than a mother pleading for her child. I mean, they just really are. And this woman came to Jesus with the purest of intention. She wasn't coming asking for a new car. She wasn't coming asking for a, a kitchen so she could wash dishes in it. She wasn't coming asking for anything for her. She was coming purely for, for somebody else. And she had the right to come for this child. Because this child, the, the scripture says children are a gift from the Lord. They're a real blessing. So God was the one who had given this child to her. So she had every right in the world to say, hey, you, you gave him to me. She's got a problem. Help me. I can't do this, but you can. And I'm coming on her behalf. And so that's what she did. She came for another person. She came with the purest of intentions. She came to beg for her child. And Jesus ignored her. Says he didn't say a word to her. It's hard to imagine, kind of. But that's the way it went down. And so while Jesus is, it doesn't, you know, it, it, he wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't hear her. It, doesn't, it wasn't that he had something else to do. The implication was he was ignoring her. You ever been ignored by anybody? Yeah. Intentionally? Yeah, you, you've had teenagers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jesus ignored her, and apparently she kept on because the disciples urged Jesus to send her away because she wouldn't stop. There is more than one way to get people to lift your name up before the throne of God. You know? And if you can't get them to pray for you, get them to pray about you. <laughs> That's what was going on here. You know, because when they come to Jesus, you know, prayer isn't necessarily something that you, that you just read in the Psalms. Prayer is, is talking to God. And that's what the disciples were doing. They were talking to God. Get rid of her. They say that uh, 90% of success is showing up. And I believe it's true. 90% of success is just being there, being willing to get out of bed, go, be there, be present. When, when whatever happens, happens. I think the other 10% is probably getting noticed once you actually get there. At least when it, when, it comes, when it comes to God. Jesus taught us to persevere in prayer. Now, 
at the end of summer, we're going to be doing a short series on prayer about Jesus' teaching on prayer. But let me just take a, a brief detour there right now because there's a, a fair amount of teaching that's gone down over the last couple of decades or so about prayer. And that is that you just need to come, you hit it once, you believe it, and then you, and you walk away from it. Uh, no, it's not what Jesus taught. And it's not a matter of if you keep praying, that means that you don't believe. Jesus said, Jesus said to always pray and not faint. He said, keep on pushing in. He told a parable about a woman, who, uh, a widow who came to an unjust judge and tried to get justice from him, and he ignored her. And she came again, and he ignored her, and she came again, and he ignored her, and she came again, and he ignored her. And then finally he said, look, I don't fear God, and I don't fear man, but woman... I don't fear you either, but you're about to wear me out. And so I'm going to give you what you want. And Jesus said, that's how you should pray. That's how you do it. You keep, you keep pushing in. You don't let anything distract you and, and, and push you off. And so that's what was happening with this woman. She was persevering. And so the disciples began to intercede on her behalf <laughs> or intercede against her. And Jesus finally spoke, and he, and he said to them, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a Canaanite woman. There's a great mystery hidden in Scripture. And there's several, but one of them is, what would have happened if the Jews had accepted Jesus as their Messiah? Ever, ever thought about that? It's, uh, it's something to ponder sometimes. One thing that probably wouldn't have happened would would have been the cross. So Jesus probably wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Say, well, now how do we we get saved then? You don't go to the cross. Well, I don't know. I mean, God's got all this figured out, okay? I mean, I'm thinking that maybe if they had accepted Jesus as their Messiah, probably it would have been very much like if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten of the apple, (laughs) You know, if some, somebody came and put their faith in, maybe that would have done it for us. I don't know. And if that, and if that had happened, then for the next 2,000 years, think of all the pain, all the suffering, all the tears, all the heartache, all that stuff that wouldn't have happened. Of course, we'll never know. And that's okay. But, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's something, something to think about. There is no doubt, though, about the order of things. Over in Romans 1.16, Paul writes and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He was sent first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and I've known this verse for most of my life, and I've never really thought, really until the last couple of weeks, what, what that means, first for the Jew and, and then for the Gentile. But I think that a clue would be over in, uh, in Romans eleven fifteen, where Paul writes and says, uh, talking about the Jews, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? And he's talking about the time's going to come when they will recognize their Messiah and they will turn. And if, if their re- rejection, first of all, brought Jesus to the cross and brought us salvation then if they had, if when they, when they finally accept him, wow, life, life is really going to be incredible on this earth. Well, it maybe could have been 2,000 years ago. I don't know. 
And if so, maybe that's the, the key about to the Jew first. Maybe they had to have the first shot at it so that we could have avoided a lot of stuff. You can't really look at them and go, ah, those Jews, they rejected Jesus. You, you would have to. So would I. You know, it's not that they are them and we are us. We're all us. You get right down to it. Because it was always God's plan to bring the Gentiles in. It was always God's plan to save all of us as well. Over in Genesis 18, 18, he's talking about Abraham. And he says that through Abraham, all nations on earth would be blessed. And we look at Abraham and we sometimes think, okay, he's the, he's the father of the Jews. Well, yeah, he's the father of the Jews. But virtually every Arab in the Middle East points to Abraham and says he's my father too. Because he was through the line of Ishmael. And the scripture says that he's the father of us all. He's the father of the entire household of faith. So God intended to bless all nations through him. Over in Genesis 22, when, uh, when he went to sacrifice Isaac, uh, he's told that all nations would be blessed because of his willingness to sacrifice his son, that image of what Christ was going to do on the cross. Isaiah eleven nine says, The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He doesn't say... The Middle East will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, or, it, or the land of Canaan will be full. Of, he says the whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So it was always God's plan to do this great cosmic thing that would bring everybody in. But you know what? This woman could have given a rip about that. She didn't care about the great cosmic plan. She didn't care about what was being worked out on this grand eternal scale. Her daughter was sick. And that's really the way that it, that it goes. You know, if you it doesn't matter if you're the, the worst sinner in the world or if you're the most wonderful saint in the world. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're um, sitting in a, in a great church service or, or sitting in a bar somewhere. If you've got a kidney stone, that's what matters. That's what you're thinking about. And if you're here today and you got a toothache, you may not have heard anything I've said yet because you got a toothache. And that's what's going on. And so this woman comes to Jesus and Jew 1st, Jew 10th, Canaanite 90th, it doesn't matter. My daughter is sick. She keeps pressing in and then it gets good. That's when it gets real good. Because Jesus turns to her and he says, it's not right to take the children's bread, toss it to their dogs. That doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Or does it? (laughs) All you women out there looking for a sensitive man? That doesn't sound like. <laughs> uh, but yet Jesus, there were a number of times that he got real straight with people. I mean, he was sensitive. He was also real straight. To the Pharisees, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? He wasn't, he wasn't saying that because he hated the Pharisees. He was saying that because he loved the Pharisees. And they needed to hear it. But they, nobody was telling them that. And then Peter, 
Get behind me, Satan. You become a stumbling block to me. That's discipleship 101 right there. See, we want to think of Jesus as Mr. Sensitivity, and he is, but he's also the judge of all the earth. He's also the one who will look at people at the judgment and go, I don't know you. It's also the one that divides the sheep from the goats and goes, this one comes in, that group doesn't. So, I mean, he's, he's clearly got to be able to bring it, bring it straight. So he, he says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she goes, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And we're finally getting around to what the sermon's actually about. See, the last great, the last and greatest, probably, obstacle that people have to overcome to become fruitful workers in the kingdom is offense. Now, that's not the only thing that keeps people from being fruitful in the kingdom. Some are too lazy to be fruitful in the kingdom. Offended yet? <laughs> some, some, are, some are too lazy to bother learning the word or bother reading the word. But others don't have the advantages of knowing the word and they can still be fruitful. Many are, are, are so consumed with themselves to be fruitful. And this is where offense comes in. Now imagine Peter. You know, here's Peter. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's the noon alarm that you have set on your phone, right? <laughs> Imagine Peter, you know, he's, he's, he's cruising along, he's doing great, and Jesus turns to him and goes, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block to me. Imagine if Peter had taken that and gone, wait a minute. I left a thriving business, I left my family, I left a good home with a nice bed to go following you around for the last two and a half years, sleeping, well you said it, the the foxes have holes and the birds have nests and we don't have any place to lay our head. I've been following you, and the only reason that I said this this thing about you not going to the cross is because I love you and I'm trying to take care of you, and this is the thanks I get. That kind of thinking sort of leads to, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Now imagine Peter had done that. See, if, if Peter goes down that road, then... I got a feeling he's not going to be there in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. I got a feeling he's not going to be the leader of the, of the early church. I got, I got a feeling that he's not going to, to become someone that people talk about and admire and hold up for the next 2,000 years because he took offense. And it happens, it happens to us all the time. You say, well, that was Peter. God was testing Peter. Every offense that comes your way, you're being tested. There's none of them that God didn't know about. See, it's not like 
It, it, it's not like somebody says something bad about you and you go, God, and God goes, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that one got by me. No, he knew about every one of them. Well, why didn't you keep me from going there and hearing that? Because I wanted you to go there and hear it. Let's, let's see how you deal with it now. Let's, let's see where that goes. Let's see what that produces in your life. <laughs> we expect offenses out there. We expect offenses from, from the world. Onward, Christian soldiers, you know, let's, let's have at it. You know, the world, if the world hates you, remember it hated Christ first. Blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you for his name's sake. Oh, yes. But when it's inside the church, yeah. <laughs> Understand, this wasn't the world talking to this woman. It was Jesus. It, it was Jesus making that racist comment, which quite frankly is what it was. You know. Some offenses from the inside are plants from the enemy. But most offenses fall into one of two categories. And here they are. <laughs> the one that most of them fall into is imaginary. Imagine all offenses <laughs> are not really real. First service didn't get that. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason why imaginary offenses happen is because we are the center of our little universe. That everything that happens, happens because of me. She frowned at me because she does not like me. Not because her cat died. Not because she got fired from her job today. You know, because she doesn't like me. Oh, come on. You know, the, the, that church, every, every meeting they plan, they plan when they know I can't be there. There it is. The staff gets together. And, and, they, and they plan, when is Beatrice going to be gone? That's when we're doing this stuff. Nobody here is named Beatrice, right? That's what I thought, okay? No, the truth is, we weren't thinking about you at all. There, is that better? <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, we get all bent out of shape because we think that, that somebody, if they're over there talking, they're talking about me. Especially if they're laughing and looking at me. You know, the reason why they did that was about me. And it almost never is. It's almost never about us. And yet, we feel like it is. All the time, these imaginary offenses, and we carry them around, and, and, then, and then we're crippled. 
We're absolutely crippled. You know, the, somebody comes up to you and, and says, hey, uh, Margaret comes up to you and goes, would you, would you like to teach a Sunday school class? And you're going, y'all had that membership meeting when I couldn't come, and now you're wanting me to teach a Sunday school class? You don't really mean that. I, serious. This is good. I told you, this is life-changing stuff here today. Hopefully. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, imagine offenses. The, I think the next largest category of offenses results from our inability to grow from hearing the truth. <laughs> Is it? I mean, if somebody tells you, if somebody tells you that you have bad breath, maybe... One out of a hundred will be somebody who's kind of who's making fun of you. Most of the time, it's somebody who just loves you enough and has enough guts to let you know what's going on. You know, and when you hear it, you don't go. Well, you shouldn't go. Okay, I'll talk like this from now on. You know, or you lie. You know? <laughs> No, when you hear it, what you need to do is go brush your teeth. Go get some mouthwash or something. You know, take, take, fix it, take, grow from it. What about if you, if you hear that you aren't very good at something that you think you're good at? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's so much fun having a theater and directing plays and casting and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it just is. Uh. You know, and sometimes uh, when people will come and they'll audition for a play, sometimes, you know, one's as good as another. You just, this is where you're going. This is what you want. So it's not that somebody's not good. Sometimes they're just truly not good. And, you know, and after, but here's the deal. If you're not somebody that can hear that, you're never going to get good. Never going to get good. I, I, I had a, a lunch meeting with a, with a young fellow this past week who's, who does a lot of stuff in the theater, and he's, uh, he's got a lot of talent, a lot of raw talent. He's got a couple of areas he really needs to work on to, to move to that next level. Uh, and uh, I guess week before last, I, I met with, with, with one of our young directors who's got a lot of raw ability. And, it's, you know, there are a couple of things you need to work on to get to that next level. But I told them both at the beginning, the first thing you have to do if you want to commit to getting better is you've got to be willing to hear somebody go, that wasn't good. Yeah. This is what you need to work on in order to get there. And it's the same way. It's the same way in the faith. It doesn't, it, it's, the same, it's the same for an athlete. It's, it's the same as it is for an actor. It's the same for a saint. You know, so if, if somebody can't say to you, that wasn't, that wasn't very good. Uh, especially, you know, sometimes there are people that you, can't, you know you can't say anything to. And you know what? You can't use them. You can't use them. You, 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 you put them in the area that 
is the, the top of their ability and you let, them, you let them stay there, but you can't take them anywhere else because you can't say to them, you got to get better at this. You can't say to them, this isn't really a good area for you. This is, this is an area where you can thrive and grow. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, it's hard to hear sometimes that you aren't very faithful. <laughs> okay, I, the first service got this, and you're going to get it too. Uh, you know, pastors sometimes offend people. <laughs> you know, and it may be maybe my breath. It, it may be something that I said. It may be my shoes. Uh, it may be any number of things. My attitude, just the way I look or something like that. Uh, you didn't act like a pastor. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so, but... Uh, it's hard to be told, it's hard to hear sometimes that you aren't faithful. I know that, you know, people's jobs have different demands on them. I know that there are different things that come into people's lives that, that require their attention and, and, and pull their attention and things like that. And so therefore, I, you know, I, there's really not anybody in... <laughs> Oh, there's some of you going to think, he is talking to me right now, at least when you hear what I got to say. But, uh, but believe me, I don't have a name in mind. I mean, there's not anybody that I look at and go, well, they ought to do, because I don't know what they ought to do, usually, unless the Lord has specifically put them in my life in a, in, in a discipleship role and I'm supposed to mentor them. I don't know. But I... And, and I don't feel like you have to be at church every day, but I just wonder why Wednesday night has a piddling number of people compared to who comes on Sunday morning. Does everybody work on Wednesday night? Everybody, I, I, I'm, television's good then, but we got TiVo now. You know? So these things come along, and here's the deal. If you're willing, if you refuse to be offended like this woman did, if you refuse, then you can be great. You can become magnificent in the kingdom of God. Of all the things that Jesus ever said to anybody, if I could only have one sentence, the one that I would have wanted to be there for was, woman, you have great faith. I would love to have seen what, what his face looked like. I would have loved to have heard the timbre of his voice. She, Jesus only used the term great faith twice in all of Scripture. He used it to apply to the Roman centurion, and he used it to apply to this, to this Canaanite woman. Great faith does not come from pedigree. Doesn't, it doesn't come from, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to see someone who has great faith. It's wonderful to be brought up in a home where you see great faith, but that isn't how you get it. You, there are lots of people who were brought up in homes where great faith was exhibited and they, they became faithless. There are lots of people who were brought up in homes where, that were faithless and they became great. 
in their faith. So it, it's got nothing to do with pedigree. Great faith also doesn't have anything to do with what you're trying to get. Some of the, the teaching about faith that's, that's gone forth over the last two or three decades has kind of led you to believe that, you know, if you, if you ask, if you're just asking for a, a used car, then you don't have much faith. You, if you ask for a new car, you got great faith. If you're, if you're asking to get a, it takes a little faith to get a cold healed and, and, you know, a lot more faith to get pneumonia healed and then great faith to get cancer healed. It's not about what you're trying to get. That, that's not, the, the target isn't the thing. The, the thing is the, is the faith that's, in, that's inside of us. And it, it comes from a refusal to be distracted. A, a refusal to be deterred by anything. And, and one of the last big distractions, usually, that the enemy will throw in our path is offense. Jesus knew who he was dealing with. He knew this woman. Scripture says over in John chapter 2 that Jesus did not need anyone to tell him what was in a man because he could see what was in somebody. And when this woman came, I I know he knew what what he had on the line right here. I mean, she's coming, she's she's asking about her daughter, and he's, mm -hmm. you know, until the disciples come to him, and he goes, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. Woman, uh, it's not proper to take the, what belongs to the children and give it to their dogs. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. You know, he knew it. He knew it. And when, she, and when she gave that answer back to him that just blew him away, I, I'm sure, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I got to believe he just exploded. And, I mean, I got to believe his face just went, whoa, <laughs> woman you got great faith we just wrote a few more verses of the new testament yeah not only that your daughter's been healed you can go home now because you got what you you came for you got what you came for proverbs 1911 says this And it's an important passage of Scripture. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It's to his glory. I mean, that word, glory, in and of itself, I'm convinced that none of us really have any idea what it means. You know, we think it means being on television or something. We we think it means, you know, winning the World Series or or winning a, a, a ball game or something like that, or, or graduating uh, summa, summa cum laude. I mean, and all those are, yeah, yeah there's something. But I, I got a feeling that compared to glory, those are just, just little, you know, glory. This is where it actually comes from. And every single, every single offense that comes your way, remember the curveball? Remember when we were talking about the curveball? We were talking about the fact that, that in reality, from the instant it leaves the pitcher's hand, it's actually starting that trajectory. It doesn't break sharply. That's an optical illusion. And, and that God knows from the very instant exactly where that thing is going in your life. So every offense that comes your way, God knew it was coming. 
Every offense that God come, that, that comes your way, God looks at it as another opportunity for you to receive glory. So you can do one of two things with it. You can receive it and carry it and go through life as an emotional and spiritual cripple. Or you can let it go and go through life with glory. From glory to glory to glory. Would you stand with me? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. sometimes believe it or not and I and I've learned what I have to do when that happens when, when that happens in my life I got to bring it to him and then bring it to him and then bring it to him and then bring it to him yes. and it you know depending on what happened it may take me weeks Amen. but I'll bring it to him every day yeah. Thank you. lay it down if you if you need 
deliverance from this as an acute or a, or a chronic problem. Either one. This would be a good day to get it because I think, I think the Lord wants to do that. We're going to worship. We'll, we'll wait on you. And uh, any, any need that you have, you bring it.
And that's really the key, because you know, getting rid of bad stuff, the problem with getting rid of bad stuff is it keeps coming back. But when you take in enough good stuff, there's no room for the bad stuff anymore. God's love is the best stuff there is. Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world to suffer and experience more offense than anyone has ever experienced who rose above it to glory may the peace and the love and the joy and the spirit that empowered Christ empower you so that you can lay aside everything that weighs you back so that you can shine for him through Jesus Christ our Lord.